Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, another episode of the Lacey Johnson Podcast. Uh, we come to you every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Central Time. Uh, I thought for this uh, particular episode, we'd focus on the police killing in Memphis of Tyree Nichols. And so we're going to get into that. Uh, ironically, last week we had a representative from the Minneapolis Police Department, uh, Sergeant Steve McCarty, and we wanted to give an inside view. Well, we tried to cover all sides here, and we welcome all sides and all opinions. And we try to give you an insight into uh, some of the issues facing law enforcement from actually a police officer, in fact, Sergeant McCarty. And uh, it's kind of, you can look at it as either good timing or bad timing or whatever, that we had him, a black police officer from the Minneapolis Police Department last week to give his side. And right after that, shortly after that, we have this incident uh, in Memphis with Tyree Nichols, uh, where most of the people involved are black police officers. And it kind of proves, uh, that's not, this proof is probably not the word, but it kind of support uh, my stance all along about uh, po police killings of unarmed uh, black men or anybody, citizen, is that if we approach this as a simple, it's a race issue, we'll never solve this issue. It's a lot more complex than that. And that's what I've been saying all along. That and the fact that uh, I don't ever see a day uh, where we go a year without some unarmed citizen uh, being killed by the police. At least, you know, it just, I don't, I, I can't see that happening. And so, uh, my point has been, uh, what's our goal with police reform? Uh, is it that no one is killed by the police? Is it that no unarmed person, citizen, is killed by the police? Or is it that no black person is killed by the police? Or no unarmed black person is killed by the police? Is there a tolerance there? Are we looking for 100% that it never happens again? And I think that's where uh, I start to diverge from much of the public. I can't see anything that we can come up with where it's never happened again. Because we're dealing with human beings and they're going to make mistakes. And unfortunately, uh, when you make mistakes in law enforcement or you make mistakes where guns are part of the equation, here once in a while, someone is going to get killed. And I think I saw some data on just uh, gun uh, killings within households. And no one disliked anyone, but it's just part of the equation. In fact, if you think about it, and I tend to, I don't want to get too complicated with this thing, uh, the reason we evolve, the planet evolves, species evolve, it's because of random variation. Things don't always work the way they're supposed to work. So that's just, to me, part of nature. To me, 
uh, these things are going to happen. Now, before we dive into the Tyree Nichols uh, killings, I want to give you some background and so you can know where I'm coming from. Uh, most of you know that, uh, as I re remind people all the time, that me and my family, we live in these communities and that every, what they call the hood and that I raised my two sons here. And so first of all, uh, I've been unjustly stopped. I'm not used to word profile, but I say unjustly stopped. And you know, I'm quite sure that my uh, race had something to do with some of these instances. And so I'm not naive to all this stuff. Uh, but as far as my experience goes, and I'll just give you one example, of, and some of you may, I mean, the police has followed me two or three miles through downtown, across town, trailing me, uh, and lied and, as an excuse for stopping me and said I crossed the center line when I was going in the curve. He was lying. I knew he was lying. He knew he was lying. And in fact, uh, that was one time that I did not calmly respond to it because I got tired of it and I let him know I got tired of it. And to be honest with you, and I'm not proud of this, I cursed the officer out in no uncertain terms. And the thing about it, even though he had the gun, you could tell that he knew I was right and I wasn't afraid of him. And you could tell we both knew what was going on. and so. I've got many stories like that. Uh, you know, you uh, dodge a pothole, uh, basically, to not uh, wreck your car. And a police is, he just doesn't do a, does a U-turn and come in and follow me and give me a ticket for dodging a pothole. So I, I got a lot of stories like that, speeding tickets that uh, I shouldn't have gotten. But the thing of it is, the whole system is set up to believe the police. And we, we know that. And so sometimes you accept it, it's not, you do the trade-off, it's not worth fighting, but I have fought him on occasion. And speaking of fighting, this leads to the case of one of my sons. Uh, and he, he calls us on the phone and asks, can we send him a copy of his car insurance card? And we find out that an officer has stopped him apparently for no reason, accusing him of having drugs in his car, which he didn't. And, I mean, my son is, <laughs> uh, he has one of those personalities that he'll be confrontational. And the first thing we did was we always make sure he knows, no matter what the officer is doing, we want you to remain calm and cool and not give him an excuse to do anything crazy. Uh, but another thing I noticed about that particular incident is that as soon as the uh, officer found out he had parents backing him, the officer's attitude seemed to have changed. And once again, I think one of the issues is, is that a lot of the, especially young black males that they stopped, they don't have a support system backing them up. Sometimes. They were justified in stopping me. Uh, I was speeding. Uh, I did have a taillight out. 
and you know, people can argue whether that's a petty thing, but you know, I just believe that I don't believe in giving my enemy an excuse uh, to take advantage of me. And so that's just my way I do it. Don't give them any excuse for stopping me. And that's what I teach my son. So having said that, just give that a little uh, background. Uh, I t also teach them always to be re respectful, don't argue. And you know, to me it's just simple. Uh, you're talking to someone with a gun, a loaded gun, who can legally kill you and nothing will happen. Now it's changed a little bit uh, because nowadays we have cell phones, but that's just part of survival. Uh, even in, once again, uh, my son is out in the streets. Not, not he ain't running the streets, but he's just out in the neighborhood. And I teaches him, and this might sound kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, kind of tough, but I teaches him, if you're not ready, willing, and able to kill someone, just walk away. Don't argue with anyone with a gun. And especially if they are legally uh, authorized to shoot and kill you. So those are the just things that just survival that I teach my sons, all the young people that I come in contact with. And it has nothing to do with all the political debate about police. It has nothing to do with all the movement, uh, Black Lives Matter and all that stuff. It has to do with my number one priority is the lives of my sons and the people in my neighborhood. So having said that, let's, let's talk about uh, this Tyree, Tyree Nichols situation. So, it, it really broke my heart to see that. Because, uh, like uh, Philando Castillo, I thought he did everything right. And he still ended up dead. Uh, here's a young man. Look like he's living a very productive life, working at FedEx, and he comes home to his come to his mom's house, I guess, to eat lunch every night, and that was his routine. I hear he had a tattoo of his mom uh, somewhere, and his mom was talking about that. So just a great uh, young man, and the first, well, first of all, I didn't see anything in the video to justify them stopping him at all. Uh, second of all, uh, the way the officer approached him, the first approach and talked to him, they never explained what he had done. And, you know, putting myself in that situation, uh, I can understand, I'm scared the heck out of the young man. And he know he hasn't done anything. He know he's just doing his normal, go home and have dinner with mom. And these uh, police officers come up to him and start treating him like a common criminal. And we expect better than that. That type of behavior is unacceptable in any circumstance. And so even though he did everything right, uh, they want to drag him out of the car, taser him, and of course the young man, somehow he slips out of his jacket and he gets away. And they spend some time, uh, a lot of uh, officers uh, driving around looking for the young man. And of course by this time the officers, 
they're kind of pissed off and that's part of the police culture and they want to uh, uh, make him pay for not for running from him, uh, trying to escape from him, even though he was 100% justified in that situation. Now, to be honest, I used to kind of say, well, uh, I understand the police side. Not that I'm saying it's justified or right. And where I'm coming from, uh, where I come from, we got spankings, whippings. And anyone who's from that culture knows the worst thing you can do is run. But he, when he did it, it's because he was justified and he had to. So I, I look at that as a rightful and genuine fear. Now the sense I got watching the video is that this wasn't the first rodeo for these guys. That is part of the culture. And we'll come back to that later because I've been saying all along, and I've heard some other people talk about this, we should start looking at a lot of these issues in terms of culture. And we would not solve a lot of these issues if we don't look at them in terms of culture uh, versus race, or let's say in addition to race. And since it has happened before, my first question, well, since there's a likelihood it has happened before, my first question was, or the first, my first thought was, there has to be other videos uh, from body cameras out there showing what was done. Uh, because if they are wearing the body cams like they're supposed to, someone on a regular basis should be assuring that they're following the rules and standards and practices of those body cams. They're not turning them off. They're always running like they're supposed to be. And someone should be uh, randomly picking some of those uh, body cam videos and reviewing them. If they had done that, I'm quite sure, not 100% sure, but quite sure they will find instances of this type of behavior happening before. And so that's the whole culture thing. So really, uh, that's why it belies simple solution. You got race, you got gender, uh, you got culture, uh, you got human psychology. All of these things are going on. You got the community itself, you got the reaction out in the street, you got their experience. All these things roll up into that. So how do we uh, get to the bottom of this and come up with the best solution? Now, look, there are no perfect solution out there. Just about everything in life, there are trade-offs. And once again, I think the only way you will be able to stop uh, police unjustified killing is to get rid of the police. But I don't think we're going to make that trade-off. And so, what do we do? First of all, uh, I recommend, and keeping in mind I've been in information technology, computer engineering environment most of my career, and we have something called methodology. And basically, in 
the simplest term, and to give an example, methodology is, in a way, the reason, no matter which McDonald's you go to, a quarter pounder with cheese is going to taste the same. Because it's a process and a system for preparing it. And that's what methodology is. It takes the human element out. It takes opinions out. It takes biases out. And it just have a process that you go through. So, and, you know, looking back on uh, the methodology that I suggest. First, I think you should gather and analyze as much data as we can. And I think the mistake that's being, being, being made so far, as far as I'm concerned, is that we're only looking at data as it concerns police killings of blacks. I think we should start with the whole set of police killings. And a lot of people don't like this, and a lot of my friends and associates. But uh, until recently, and I don't know what it looks like the last two years, uh, anytime I looked at the data, there was twice as many uh, white killings by police as black killings. Now, those of you who think it's just about race probably don't like hearing that. But let me tell you from a methodology standpoint and gathering and analyzing data, I think we should look at all police killings and look at what they all have in common, first and foremost. Then start looking at the different factors, whether it's race, education level, uh, uh, family structure, uh, who, whether one was committing crimes or not, whether some was resisting arrest, whether some didn't have both of their hands showing at the same time, and just tackle to get that data, analyze it. And normally what happens there, you see patterns and trends, and understand the patterns and trends, and then start making decisions and, and drawing conclusions based on the data, based on the patterns and trends, uh, are first and foremost. And the data will provide, an analysis of the data will provide uh, 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 the, uh, uh, a clearer picture of what's really going on. Now, once you've done that, you got a better, good understanding of what the issue at hand, what you're trying to solve. I think at that time, uh, you should bring in, if not earlier, all the stakeholders. The main stakeholders, I think, are the communities. Uh, I think we should consider law enforcement as a stakeholder. Uh, I think we should bring in uh, the leadership as stakeholders and to get them all together and, and they will be the driving uh, group behind the rest of the process. And so once we have analyzed the data and we've seen patterns and trends, now it's time to start developing a solution and we've got our stakeholders in place and hopefully they all uh, have the same goal in mind and things like that. And once again, the methodology should ensure that we keep conflict and opinions out of it. And I'm not naive. Uh, there will be conflicts. But the methodology is what makes sure we all keep march marching forward to the same goal of developing a solution. Now, we talked about the body cameras, uh, body cams before. Uh, 
there should be no reason for an officer, I think, to turn off the body camera. And so, and this is just the way I think, we should design the body cam so it will know, we can find out if an officer turned it off or if it was some type of malfunction. And, uh, you know, as a ticket kind of guy, I think we can accomplish that. And so, uh, the only reason for the camera not to be running is a technical malfunction. Anything else, the officer's in trouble. Now, once we make sure that that happens, there should be someone inside the police department on a regular basis checking the output from those body cams. Whether it's every night at the end of every shift, whether it's at the end of every week, whether it's once a month, whether it's checking everybody's body cam, whether it's doing some random sampling, that should happen. And I'm saying, in this case, in Memphis, uh, and by the way, this is a special unit, I think called Scorpion, uh, which was put together because of the rise in crime uh, in the neighborhood. And let's face it, once again in culture, uh, there's a natural antagonist, antagonism between law enforcement and criminals. And some of them are criminals, by the way. And so there will be issues. Uh, so audits within the police department. And then there should be external independent audit of these body cams and see what's going on. And as part of constant process improvement, constant pointing out, and I guess it's kind of like in sports, you watch the film. And you, you look for things, and you catch things early, you correct things before they get out of hand. And I think, once again, that in itself will go a long ways towards changing the culture. Because I don't know for sure, but it appears that they're used to not being checked. That's what it sounds like to me. I don't have to worry about anybody checking me. So we're going to consistently do this. That's another thing. Now, I told you I. I know people on the uh, police force. I told you I had a conversation with Sergeant Steve McCarty, and one about, and this is where I'm coming from, and this is very important, I guess. I don't know. Everywhere I've ever worked, I've known the good workers, the great workers, the good workers, the fair workers, the average worker. I've known the ones who were doing things right and who were doing things wrong. I think, generally speaking, or maybe specifically speaking, that's also true in the police department. They know who the bad apples are. And so we need to put more responsibility and accountability on the police department to clean up their own act. Now, here's the tricky part, people. There's a couple of tricky parts. Uh, you're in a profession where people, your own coworkers, can kill you if they think you're selling them out, you're ratting on them or whatever. And so, even though theoretically it sounds like a good idea uh, that you turn in other officers, you report on them, or, or you, uh, shall we say, uh, accost them on some things that they're doing, uh, people need to understand that that can be dangerous. And so, uh, what I suggest is a confidential reporting system that a person can confidentially uh, uh, do that. Now, we know in the street culture, we know that 
they would suspect some people of ratting, or telling even ones who may not have, or they'll find out some other way. And you can still pay the consequences there. So the, the point I'm trying to make is that some of these things that we're suggesting has to be realistic and take into account the profession, the culture, and everything else. It's like uh, uh, Memphis had a rule or requirement that any officer on site, if they see something wrong, they're required to intervene. Well, once again, I'll just go back to my system development background. You know, a lot of things sound good on the drawing board. If you don't think, especially if you don't think them all the way through. And I'm not so sure, as we found in the case down in Memphis, that a lot of uh, fellow officers will have the courage, especially when you get into the hierarchy and somebody, a sergeant been around uh, 20 years and somebody been around a year and the sergeant or whoever have a reputation. I'm not sure it's realistic to expect this new guy to turn in this old experienced veteran who's very popular in the in the department. I think uh, that might create issues. So we might want to rethink that. I think it's still a good requirement. I think there's still a good rule to because you should intervene. You should, no one should stand around, especially a law enforcement officer, and watch another law enforcement officer do something that's not correct or bad for the citizen, or, or even dangerous, or even or watch another law enforcement officer do things that would uh, cause the death of a citizen before they've had a fair trial or anything. And, and once again, just since I mentioned that, keep in mind that uh, a police officer should never be your uh, arresting officer, judge, and jury uh, on you. So whenever you, uh, a police officer is taking the life of a citizen, we are shortcutting due process. Now, we talked about confidential reporting system, uh, review of the intervention rules, uh, but, and you know, I, I kind of hesitate to use this phrase because it's thrown around a lot. Uh, we should have zero tolerance uh, from other, any representative of the government mistreating a citizen, and especially law enforcement. So we should have zero tolerance for that. And if we ever have evidence, we should take an appropriate action, including firing, including uh, taking the court, seeking a conviction, and if it calls for it, uh, prison time. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, everybody needs to be held accountable. And once again, stressing, I think we as citizens, should have accountability. And our accountability and responsibility is to obey the law, is to not resist arrest, and I think is to make sure they see both of our hands at the same time. So I, I, I hope that presents a non-emotional, logical uh, path towards addressing these issues, keeping in mind that, once again, Make sure we got a clearly defined goal, and well, I, whatever that goal is, make sure what we're doing is consistent with that goal. Uh, oh, one thing I didn't mention is 
as, as among the stakeholders. We talked about the community and police officers and leaders, community leaders and political leaders, but we should also have a former a citizen who had bad encounters with the police officer on that uh, group of stakeholders. So have everybody who got anything involved in this process and this issue, uh, major players at the, at the table discussing this with an open mind, with a common goal uh, that we want to stop people, citizens, from being killed by those who are supposed to protect and serve us. Now, a couple of final things here. Look, and this may not be, this is probably not popular with a lot of people, but at least some of my friends and the people I know. But I have an issue, and I think the way I put it, and I don't know whether that was a uh, good way of putting this, but, but somewhere I said to someone, I don't think a mom, standing over the casket of her dead child really is concerned about who's responsible for that, for, for killing her child, for murdering her child. I don't think it makes her feel any better if it was a gang member, a fellow person in the community, or a law enforcement officer. I could be wrong, but my point is this. Uh, the last data I've seen indicate that there are about 10,000 black homicides per year. Now, there was a spike during uh, uh, COVID and during this whole uh, defund the police movement. It just got kind of crazy. So it might have been a problem more the last few years. But my point is this. I think uh, the year, and I, it's hard to find data on, on the total number killed. And that's a whole different issue too. But it was either 20, 2020 or 2021 that was roughly 10,000 black homicides. And out of that 10 number, I think there was 267 or 269 uh, killed by law enforcement officers. And why do we give more attention and credence to those that are killed by law enforcement officers than those that are killed within their own community by members of their own community. And, you know, I kind of look at that as, you know, a family member killing you. That's just as bad as somebody else. We're killing each other in a lot of instances. So I'm not one of those who's too hung up on who killed the person. And I know a lot of people looking back in history and things like that. And to be honest with you, and I've been upfront with everybody. There are people with political motives that use police killings to forward their political motives. If they really cared about black lives, if they really cared about black communities, we'd be talking about the 10,000 that's killed each year. The media hardly ever talks about that. You can have on, and I don't want to pick on Chicago, but sometimes they deserve picking on when it comes to this issue. You can have 70 or 80 people. Eh, it might be a little high. Let's say 20 people kill on a weekend in Chicago. No one says anything. Silent. No one is saying anything or doing anything to address the killings 
of each other within our community. And I, I, I for one, don't like that equation. Uh, they're all lies are precious. And I say that because I know a lot of, I've had friends uh, killed by uh, people that knew them. And so it's just as sad, just as bad, it's just as reflective of issues in society as uh, in our culture, the culture of our society. Uh, I think we should address both culture within our community and within the police department. And if we do that and look at it that way, and, and by the way, it's still uh, consistent with the scientific methodology of solving problems. You gather all the data and look at it all and see is there any correlation, any, any connection. Now, that leads me to Black Lives Matter. Well, I've been, well, first of all, I, I, I'm just going to lay it on the line here. I, I, I always thought from the beginning they were, they were a scam organization. I knew from the beginning that uh, there was, and they're self-proclaimed, Marxist organization. I was very disturbed by the fact uh, that as they were, one of their goals, stated goals, now they took it down after people started talking about it, was the destruction of the nuclear family. I know that Marxists are godless people. And if you're a person who is godly, Marxists are godless, and if you're a person who is godly, uh, you don't like that, uh, spiritual, because, and here's the thing, whether you believe in religion and all that stuff or not, some type of way we have to, as human beings, as people, as communities, have some type of moral compass, wherever you get it from. Because a lot of the issues today is basically based on the fact that we've lost our moral compass. And so what I'm saying is that Black Lives Matter is nowhere to be seen anymore, which doesn't surprise me. And to be honest, they've taken the money and ran. And to be honest with me, with you, uh, I've known from the beginning there was international forces backing them financially in other ways. They didn't really care about the black community and the goal was to use our cause and our pain and our suffering uh, and what's happening to us and the killing of a black citizen by law enforcement to further their goals. Uh, to Tyree Nichols, and like I say, uh, I extend my condolences to his family. Uh, that's tough to see a young man like that doing all the right things and end up being killed basically uh, by his own government, his own law enforcement agency, who duty is to protect and serve. Uh, so that's my opinion on that. I hope I offer some constructive ways to go about solving this. I hope, once again, whatever methodology you use, but we gotta take a lot of the emotions out of this. We gotta, we have to stop just thinking it's all about race. Uh, we have to start thinking culture. We have to start understanding that there's a lot of other factors in these killings. Or else, I predict, they can continue to happen at an unnecessary rate. And 
as a kind of data guy, I can't ever envision a day where none of this happens. I hope you and society and everybody prove me wrong. So God bless you. Have a good evening and condolences uh, to the Nichols family and all his family and his friends and things. And let's keep working together. Hopefully no matter what side of the political persuasion you're on, no, no matter what color you are or anything else, whatever difference we are, these are some things that we can come together and work for a common goal and a common good. Lisa Johnson, uh, good night. See you next week with a special guest uh, and uh, some more commentary. Have a good evening.